Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon. It is September 2nd, 2021. I don't know if you can hear my dog in the background, but literally he started barking just when I started this recording. He'll stop in a second, but it's almost appropriate, actually, because I feel like the, his, his anger towards our male person is kind of some of the anger I'm feeling right now. Um, I want to talk to you uh, or today about the assault on Roe v. Wade and uh, what it means for American democracy um, and for where we're going as a country. I'm going to be joined here by um, a colleague, a great colleague, someone I've known for, I don't know, seven or eight years now. Um, by the name of Dr. Kiana Scott, who I've known since um, her time at the University of Washington. I think Kiana has joined us. Are you here, Kiana? Hi, David. Great to be here. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and I want to just introduce you, Kiana, real quick. So I, I know you, but I just want to introduce you to folks who don't know you. Kiana has a PhD from the University of Washington in the Department of Communication, and I had the great privilege to work with her in her time there. Um, she has focused on gender and U.S. politics in her research and also some of her teaching and a lot of her civic engagement. She now leads communications and fundraising for economic inequality nonprofits in Seattle um, and helps women across Washington State win elected office as a board member of the National Women's Political Caucus. She's also been down in the weeds in American politics um, as a precinct captain and also led a whole bunch of work for the Obama campaign in 2008. She was a, an original founding member of Common Power back when it was Common Purpose in 2018. She, was, she helped us to build our work in the first year. Um, and she has a, she's a former board member of the Center for Women and Democracy. She also has an event that is upcoming that I want to just mention because I, it's right on point with this, which is on October 6th with Claudia Golden um, by town is being hosted by Town Hall in Seattle. And the title is the century the, the, the title is the century long fight to close the gender pay gap. Um, when I was when I wanted to do a little podcast this morning about where we're at with Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court's gutless decision last night, well, in the last, twice in the last forty eight hours, um, I thought of you, Kiana, and I thought of your um, wisdom and also your drive to build a better democracy, particularly for women and people of color. And so what I'd like to do here, Kiana, is uh, three things. I'd like to just start with, um, I guess, a personal reaction that you have uh, without getting too much into the details, but just a personal reaction that you have. Then second, I'd like to actually unpack what has unfolded in the last 48 hours. And I'm going to need your help on some of that. And third, then I'd like to turn our attention to what, what's ahead for us, what's possible. Does that all sound Okay. That sounds, uh, it sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So I reached out to you on text this morning, Kiana, and I said, so uh, where are we at? 
So let me ask you that question. Or no, I'm sorry. I don't want to ask you the, quite that question. I want to ask you, uh, uh, which was implicit in that. How are you reacting and feeling to what has occurred? Um, well, David, first of all, thank you for having me back on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, although um, heartbreaking to be here in these circumstances and with this topic. Um, my, my reaction is a combination of feeling absolutely gutted, feeling enraged, and feeling really, really frustrated that the bad guys won on this one and that mm. they are winning. Um, and so I've, I've been reacting in a couple of different ways uh, as this news has been coming in over the last couple of days. And I'll also acknowledge my privilege right up front. Uh, there are, are organizers, particularly women of color and people of color on the ground in Texas who have been sounding the alarm on this topic for months and months and months. Um, and the fact that many of us are just waking up to this terrifying reality in the last couple of weeks is a true sign of privilege. And I would be remiss not to mention that right up front. Sure. Thank you. And uh, what what uh, can we, um, I guess I just want to ask you a little bit more about the gutted, the, t the, the frustrated, the anger, the, the terror that you're feeling. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that, please? Sure. Um, well, this, this is in both practice and intention, a ban on abortion in the state of Texas. This is uh, a, a small minority of people who hold power because this does not reflect the will of either voters or people in the state or in the country, um, deciding that they want to police the bodies of people who can become pregnant and that they are going to do that without regard to medicine, without regards for science, without regards for people's well-being. Um, and that they're certainly not doing this on behalf of, of any children anywhere. Um, so this is simple. This is simply a power power exercise and a, a huge, tremendous abuse of power. Um, so it is gutting to see anyone who isn't gutted by this simply isn't paying attention. We know that this law, which is now in effect and has been in effect since uh, you know twelve oh one on on. Uh, September 1st, so two days now, means that there are people out there who are in desperate need of reproductive health care and abortions who are not getting that the care that they need. Uh, I find that tragic. I find it scary. And I find it really, really, really upsetting to think how effectively, this speaks to the frustration that I mentioned, how effectively uh, people who, again, don't care about any of the, the groups or concepts that I mentioned earlier have been playing the long, the long game on this one. There are victory parties happening, um, I would imagine, in Mitch McConnell's heart <laughs> office. Yeah. Um, certainly Donald Trump. The, this, is what, this is what a lot of bad people have been planning for and setting the stage for for years and months. Um, and to see it come to fruition really flies in the face of, of everything that, that you and I, and I imagine any listener today and, and many of us around the country, feel and hold dear. Okay, thanks. The, uh, so the um, U.S. Supreme Court was asked to put a stay on a Texas law. And 
I want to ask you in a second here if you can just tell us and tell us specifically what that Texas law does. And the U.S. Supreme Court was asked to stop it from going into effect. And the U.S. U.S. Supreme Court did not stop it from going into effect. At first, they just allowed it to go into effect. And then they actually did issue a public statement about the way the justices had assessed that appeal. And it was a 5-4 decision to not put that stay. A stay means to stop a law from going into effect. They did not issue that stay. And it was a 5-4 decision by conservatives to not issue the stay. So it wasn't just that they let it go into effect. They also ruled at, at this point in time that they did not feel it was sufficiently unconstitutional to stop it. Um, they did leave a little bit of an out on that and said that, like, we're not making a, a blanket statement here about this constitutionality of this, but the reality is that they, if they had come to a majority opinion that it, it was unconstitutional, they would have stopped it. And Justice Sonia Sotomayor um, and Justice Elena Kagan, in their dissents, uh, very clearly articulated the, the the terror and the unconstitutionality and the wrongness of this decision, and that it, it violates the precedents that have been established on women's rights for to have an abortion. Um, up to a certain window of time. That's what's happened with the Supreme Court uh, in the last 36 hours has, that has occurred. And that's the long game that you're referring to, Kiana, the planning, the attempt to put justices on the court, the attempt to build laws that would make this happen. Um, so what exactly is this Texas law? What is it? Well, I'll, I'll answer that in a second, David. I want to add one more piece to the long game um, okay. because you're exactly right. The Supreme Court is certainly one really critical aspect of this. But the other is state legislatures. This yeah. is a state yeah. law that passed with the, with the Texas state legislature. And that means that this could happen in other states with Republicans in power. Um, so Republicans are infamously, notoriously effective at electing local uh, local positions at electing themselves to local positions. And that's part of why we are here having this conversation today. It's because they have consolidated power across state legislatures. They hold the majority of state legislatures in this country, as well as the majority of governor's mansions in this country. Um, and so this isn't going to end in Texas and it's not going to end with the Supreme Court. This is going to be continued uh, at the state level across our country. So that's the other piece of the long game. Um, um, can I just power, say something on that voting too? Voting power has a huge, a huge role to play there, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that the, those legislatures are controlled by Republicans because of the gerrymandering that they have done in all of these states to make it so, and so many of the states that Common Power is in that we prioritize are Republican-controlled legislative states: Arizona, Texas, Georgia. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, those are all Republican-controlled legislatures in those states because of gerrymandering. Um, so what we're working for, and we call voting justice here at Common Power, it always goes back to who can vote, how easy can they vote, and are we trying to build a more just and inclusive democracy? Because these kinds of laws are the outcome of when that, that just and inclusive democracy is not present. That's so, absolutely right, David. That's absolutely okay. right. And, and we, you know, the other big law that came out of Texas just this past week right. was a sweeping package of voter restrictions. That's not an accident. Those two things are deeply, deeply intertwined. 
So you really totally. can't extract um, the kind of, of rights abuses that we're discussing now with restrictions on voting rights because they're all connected. Yes. Okay, what is this law exactly, Kiana? Yeah, so this law is, um, as I said, in, in both practice and intent, it is a total ban on abortion in the state of Texas. It's an overriding of uh, Roe v. Wade, which was a Texas, uh, originally a Texas lawsuit mm. that mm -hmm. led to the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion in the United States. Um, and SB 8 was signed into law uh, in May of this year, May 2021. And what it does specifically is a few things. It bans abortion at six weeks. And it's, it's worth pausing here to talk about how pregnancy is, um, how, how we think about pregnancy in this country. Pregnancy is considered from the last day of a person's period. So you don't, many people don't know that they are pregnant until at least six weeks down yeah, the road. Yeah. You often don't show symptoms. Doctors won't see you at six weeks because they don't have enough. Um, there isn't a physical indication that you are pregnant at that point. Um, the egg hasn't often implanted for more than a, a week or two. Um, insurance companies won't cover OBGYN appointments at six weeks. So the vast majority of abortions in this country and in Texas take place after six weeks because there isn't enough um, be because that it isn't medically feasible at that point. So yeah, in Texas is 90%, 90% of abortions after six weeks. That's right. That's right. It's um, and according to the, the Texas policy evaluation project, this law would block more than 85% of abortions that have occurred since 2018. Mm. I mean, it really is stunning. This is effectively a ban. There, uh, there are almost no exceptions, too. Uh, that's been a, a vein in a lot of anti-choice legislation in the last couple of years to make exceptions for cases of rape and incest. Those are not excused. There is no, there is no um, exemption for age in this law. The only exemption is in the extremely rare case of a woman's life being in imminent danger. And mm. again, most people don't know that they're pregnant at six weeks. So that's one key aspect here. Okay. Um, effectively, people will not have time to, to proceed with an abortion within this, this limited window. This law also gives anyone, anywhere, standing to sue anyone involved in aiding someone to get an abortion. Mm. It doesn't give standing to sue the patient. It gives standing to sue the doctor, any medical assistants, someone who drives someone seeking an abortion to a clinic, someone who provides information about where a clinic is, gives you gas money, cares for your children while you go take that procedure, perhaps gives you time off. Um, and when I say anyone, anywhere, this, this is effective outside of Texas as well. So theoretically, if I provide money to a Texas abortion access fund, which I do, that is an organization that is explicitly in service of people seeking abortions. I could be sued by anyone in Texas to the tune of at minimum $10,000 plus legal damages. Hmm. So it, ex it very effectively creates a vigilante justice system um, and encourages people to 
to, to blow the whistle on people they may know or they may see seeking, seeking help from abortion clinics. Uh, and in reality, there were some, some really just terrifying uh, stories that I saw across social media in the last few days of people sitting outside abortion clinics with floodlights trained on the doors, seeing who was walking in on August 31st, mm. hoping they would count down so that that law would go into effect and they would get caught. Uh, it's terrifying. That yes, that is that's. Th thank you for describing this in the kind of detail that we need to know. Um, is it correct? My understanding that the Texas uh, statement, like the Texas uh, governmental statement on this, is that they actually haven't passed a law criminalizing this at all. That what they've done is they've enabled Texas citizens or other citizens to pursue legal action that is an individual choice. Um, and that this is part of the reasoning that the court, Supreme Court, gave in in not acting at this point in time. That that this does not qualify as a state action or law at this time, or at least it hasn't been challenged in that way. And so that the 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 state of uh, Texas has merely creating a framework for citizens to do their duty as they would see fit. Um, and so there's, there's, it's, it's created in such a way to evade the kind of constitutional questions. That's, that's absolutely right. This law was written to, to allow abortions to be banned in the state of Texas. It was written to uh, accomplish exactly what it accomplished, which was giving five members of the Supreme Court of the United States uh, the, the cover to without formally tearing down either Roe v. Wade or Planned Parenthood versus yeah. Casey, which is the other major Supreme Court decision in this area, um, without ever directly tearing those decisions down, they have effectively banned abortion in the state of Texas. And it's, it's worth going into one other, one other piece here about the Supreme Court, David. The Supreme Court issues decisions in, in two distinct ways. Yeah, yep. They have a term in which they decide to take on cases, to hear arguments, and to issue decisions. That's not what happened here. This process is uh, occurred by something called the shadow docket, which is justices not deciding to take up a case, but simply, simply letting, letting a piece of legislation, letting an act slide by without ruling on it and without hearing arguments. Uh, so this was a particularly, particularly shadowy, particularly opaque process from the Supreme Court. When, they, when those, those five majority justices issued their unsigned statement, it was at about midnight uh, Eastern time on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday? On the second, whatever day that was, this week Tuesday night like a, was in the middle of Tuesday <laughs> felt like night. A yes. decade, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they didn't have to make, they didn't have to sign anything. They didn't have to release a major opinion. They simply let something slide. So the shadow docket is a huge, a huge role to play here. Yeah, thank you for for talking about that because that is that's where the the word that I used earlier, gutless, comes mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. That that they uh, they they allowed without assigning something to occur 
um, and that this is the the not isn't backdoor isn't a sufficient enough metaphor here to to capture the way that this is now being dealt with legally. Um, and it's 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 part of that long game in that conservatives have looked at every possible avenue to to achieve the outcome they're looking for, and this is the avenue that they've arrived at. Now, Texas, the law in Texas um, is the one on the table that we're talking about here. But I know that there were several other states that passed these kind of six-week laws or sometimes called heartbeat laws um, that have been present around the country. So my assumption is that those laws are not exactly the same, but are probably kind of similar and will kick in pretty quickly. And I think the other, I think there are two key things to pay attention to. Um, The first is that Texas just handed every state interested in banning abortion a blueprint and how to do it, signed, sealed, and delivered by the U.S. Supreme Court. So any of those states that have already passed um, these these bills can now go back to the drawing drawing board with an approved version that they know will stick, at least for now. Um, So that's terrifying. The other thing that Supreme Court watchers have seen coming for quite a while is a a case that the Supreme Court has agreed to take up in its yes. coming term. And yeah. that's Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, uh, which is dealing with a Mississippi law that was passed in 2018, and that was banning abortion at 15 weeks. Um, so this has been under consideration. The Supreme Court has full ability to decide what cases it does or does not want to take up. They do need a majority of justices to choose to take up a case in order to hear it. Um, and they chose not to for a while, and now they've chosen to. That's no accident. And we also have a huge indicator of which way this particular court will lean when it comes to deciding that case. Yep. Yeah, in the, uh, the the court's decision, the court's decision to not take up this appeal, um, the five four split included Justice John Roberts on the liberal side of the dimension, which is, you know, quite a statement to have him show up over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have five justices, three of them appointed by Donald Trump, in in what is going to go down in American history as one of the 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 most impactful and perhaps defining uh, presidencies of our country's history, however long that country lasts. Mm -hmm. Um, Three justices appointed by Donald Trump and uh, approved by a Senate overseen by Mitch McConnell, with one of those justices, of course, possible only because McConnell just threw his hand, threw the democracy under the bus and refused to confirm Merrick Garland. Um, in the at the in the last year of Barack Obama's presidency, the outrage that I feel um, around not electing Hillary Clinton in 2016 by people who who said there was no difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I have to say, Kiana probably matches the outrage that I feel towards conservatives in this moment. I, I I'm there with you, David. I think this uh, there were many many powerful voices identifying this as the risk of electing Donald Trump. And many of those folks were called alarmist or we don't like her, uh, so it's not worth it. And 
I hate that they were right and they were right. Um, and anyone who didn't listen, anyone who didn't participate, anyone who didn't work their ass off to defeat Donald Trump and elect Hillary Clinton, um, they're not, they're not, they are responsible for this. This is, this for me falls at the, the door of the Republican Party uh, because they have created the context and the environment in which people are turned off from voting, but there is more that the people on our side should have done from the very beginning. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm just gonna take a deep breath here. Yeah, this hey. is, this, this is rough. It's, this is not, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of hope that any of us are feeling right now. I don't think on this topic. Yep. And I, uh, I, I always see my kind of public professor, public common power, public citizen role as one of, of trying to maintain that kind of sense of, of a horizontal view. Like, okay, whatever this is, we are going to, you know, see the future and see forward. So I want to go there in a second about what's possible. But I have to say that this feels to me so much like a moment um, in 1890 in this country when the Mississippi state legislature passed a new constitution that uh, became a model for disenfranchising black Americans from voting all over the country. And it, 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 it introduced poll taxes, introduced literacy clauses, introduced understanding clauses. Um, and it became the model that was adopted by state after state across the South, the American South, in 1891, 1892, and that defined this country all the way until this, you know, the civil rights movement. And now we're back fighting that battle. But that model, that moment of a, of, of a decision, which wasn't a Supreme Court decision, they, they actually didn't take it up directly um, at that time, uh, to find us, and, and it just feels as absolutely unjust, outrageous, diabolical as what that was. So I am, I am viscerally feeling this in a way that's profound, and I just I'm fucking pissed. Mm -hmm. I, I want to add one uh, one more piece of context that I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of days. David, you mentioned that three of the Supreme Court justices currently in the Supreme Court. Were, were put there by Donald Trump. Um, we also have two credibly accused sexual assaulters on the Supreme mm -hmm. Court. And I think that's worth remembering um, and, and adding to this conversation. There is an established history of not respecting women on this court. Uh, not just those two, of course, but I, I don't want us to forget um, that we have a court that has been really clear where they stand. Yep. Uh, well, I, I actually don't want to leave that statement you just made without putting the, the, the finer name on that. It, we're talking about Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh, right? We sure are. Yes. Yeah. I just wouldn't feel good about just not taking it all the way to say that because I, they are credibly accused. They have been. Yes. Okay. Um, Charles Douglas has come into the studio, um, Kiana, and I know that uh, he wants to 
uh, say hello and uh, appreciate your, your your contributions and also make a point about the way in which common power is going to have a chance to to kind of process this. So Charles, are you on the line? Yeah. I think Charles is in the studio, but I don't see you, Charles, on the phone call. So you got to like accept the invite to come in. So you'll get here in a second. Well, David, while we're talking about individual Supreme Court justices and to give Charles a moment to, to jump in here, um, I also want to point out that Stephen Breyer is still a Supreme Court justice, age 83. He's been talking about retirement in fairly coy terms for quite a while. Um, and as I'm sure you know, he is releasing a book next week about how the Supreme Court is not political. So he is one that, that you and I and, and many of our colleagues are going to be watching quite closely. Um, and I think it's his impact right now. He, he was in the, the minority um, who opposed this law. Uh, but there is deep concern that he will not step down and that he will um, end his time on the court at a time when Democrats won't have the ability to, to uh, appoint a pro-choice and a pro-choice justice. So I think that's worth considering as well. Absolutely. Uh, and this, this, comes, this begins to move us into the wheelhouse of common power. The reality is that uh, the last Supreme Court Chief Justice who was uh, approved by a Senate that was held by a, a, the party that was not the president's party was Clarence Thomas. Okay. We have not had a U.S. Senate approved Supreme Court Chief Justice from the opposing party um, without uh, since then. And if the U.S. Senate loses, if, it's, if it moves to the Republicans in 2022, not only will they be positioned to overthrow the election possibly in 2024, they will also be positioned to block a Supreme Court nominee by Joe Biden's administration in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. So the, the stakes could not be higher for the Congress. We're going to talk about the whole Congress here in a second, but specifically for the Senate. Um, so we, that's very clear to us, the road to 22, we've been calling this, that that's on us. That's on us to do work. Um, Charles, are you in now? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We got you now. Oh, great. Um, Kiana, I've been listening and it's always, it's always really good to hear, to have you <laughs> just <laughs> with us. Okay, and then it's good to like get inside your mind a little bit and hear what you're thinking. Um, you are maybe one of the most professional people, human beings that I am associated with. And, and also in this moment, you gotta be feeling something. As a woman, David talked about how he's feeling. How, how, how do you feel? Like you've analyzed the hell out of this thing. But to be a woman, today how does it feel yeah um fucked up bad and scary and i i started our conversation by saying this but i again i've been reading um representative cory bush who has been just a tremendous member of congress uh, tweeted something that I've been just coming back to. She said this uh, yesterday, I think, 
and I'm just going to read her words. I'm thinking about the black, brown, low-income, queer, and young folks in Texas. The folks this abortion health care ban will disproportionately mm. harm. Wealthy white folks will have the means to access abortion care. Our communities won't. That's yeah. so true. And this is so tragic. It is discriminatory. And it's scary. Because this isn't a law that if I lived in Texas would impact me. Right? Because as a white woman with means, I would have the ability to seek healthcare outside the state. That is not true for everyone. That is not true for most people. That's terrifying. So there are people that this law is going to, is going to and has already hurt in ways that they and their families will not bounce back from. Families and people will be forced into deeply horrific personal decisions that they that they won't have the ability to make. They'll be forced into action they don't want to take. Um, so my my heart is breaking. And each and it's felt like a series of sucker punches. I I was telling my partner last night, I don't often have to turn away from the news. Um, I like to I like to know what's going on even when things are awful. And yesterday, when, um, when that decision came down and, and the Supreme Court of the United States, the last bastion of justice, as I thought of them, said, nope, this is fine, I, I, I had to step away for a while. So I'm feeling really sad. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you, Sharon. Um, and this is, you know, this is the first first full day after things were made more permanent, I think, last night. Um, and there's many days to come. And um, one of the things I loved about Matt Isle's show um, last night is that half of it was what you said. It was like, here's the situation. Here's how bad it is. And the other half was highlighting people who are fighting against it and kind of the underground network of folks that are going to be servicing those people that you talked about, that Corey mm-hmm. was talking about. And that's the reality. Um, that's, and, and, and it's the one that we're going to live with. It's going to, it's how horrible it is. And also these heroes um, that now we have to count on to, uh, to rescue us from these horrible, horrible decisions, series of decisions that, that have led to um, the makeup of this Supreme court. Um, the conservative turn of this country, the the moderation of folks who were progressive <laughs> at mm-hmm. a time in their lives, um, kind of the the not in my backyard mentality when it comes to not just your physical backyard, but your you know your retirement and your taxes um, and your home. Um, all of these things have shifted the country in a direction that I think is surprising the people that have voted. Um, the way they voted over the past few decades, and this is what we get. Um, I it, part of this conversation. I mean, like I said, we're going to have it today and the next day, and it's going to continue, and we'll see the reverberations of this uh, politically. This is going to be. Um, I mean, everyone thought that critical race theory is going to be the thing uh, that was the headlines for midterms next year, and this is going to be a major, major motivator on both sides. 
Um, so we will talk about this again. Uh, today, though, we are going to talk about this a little at our um, monthly community meeting every first Thursday of the month. Um, we've, we've got other things we planned on highlighting, like our upcoming trips to Virginia for, for those elections and um, Action Academy, which is you know building this next generation that's going to fight this fight and continue after us. Um, but we got to talk about this. And so we're setting aside some time. Um, I think Larcy's going to introduce us in the, in the beginning, but we're going to set aside time at the very end of the community meeting tonight at 5 p.m. Pacific to, um, to talk as a community. And I think we're going to stay on for as long as people want to talk. Um, Kiana, be, we welcome you if you, if you had the time. I know you're a busy person, but um, we, we see you as a part of our community as well. Uh, so that'll, that'll be the beginning of a, a series of talks that we, we probably do over time. Yeah, that's, that's great, Charles. I think it's what's so clear is that this is going to be a long, brutal slog that needs to occur in community and in solidarity if we have any yeah. chance of, uh, of, of, of making things right. Exactly. In this particular moment, um, what what could what can Congress do, Kiana? Uh, Kiana? My my read my reading of this is that Congress can pass a law that would implement the 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 current kind of like uh, Roe v. Wade understanding of the uh, of abortion rights. That would be a federal law and would override state laws in the same way that they could pass a voting law that would override state state restrictions on voting. Um, and Joe Biden did make statements during the 2020 presidential campaign that he would make Roe v. Wade, he would push to make Roe v. Wade the law of the land. Um, is that, is that, I, I know what, the likelihood of that might be not high, but is that actually a legal step that could occur? Um, well, I'm not a legal expert, but my understanding is that you're exactly right, David, that there is, that, that Congress could pass and the president could sign a federal law that would um, protect these rights. And the big question there is, of course, what action the Supreme Court would take, particularly with this Dobbs decision coming up down the road. Um, in the meantime, President Biden announced this morning that he was launching a whole government effort to respond to this decision. Mm. So he's intending to use uh, his executive authority as a leader of agencies, particularly the Department of Justice and um, Health and Human Services to determine what steps they can take. Uh, he says to insulate those in Texas from this law and ensure access to safe and legal abortions as protected by Roe. Um, that statement is notable because I believe it's the first time that Joe Biden has mentioned the word abortion. Hmm. I could be wrong. He's referred consistently to uh, reproductive rights and a woman's right to choose. Um, but, you know, realistically, there are limited limited options if the Supreme Court is against this. And the best option is a Congress that dramatically changes how they do business. 
um, that involves both ending the filibuster and potentially, and in my opinion, this would be a good move, expanding the Supreme Court, which mm-hmm. is not limited to nine justices. Uh, and it also involves making sure that state legislatures go blue across the country, that there isn't uh, that there isn't this sort of opportunity for things to start in this direction. So what would you say, because you are, you're about to say it. <laughs> so what would you what would you say to the common power community? Um, Charles and I are very aware that we are men in this space and we are feminists to our core in what we believe, but we also understand the privileged space that we occupy around this particular topic. Um, And so I really value your integrity and your kind of understanding of how politics works and and also the, the pain that is there, Kiana. So what would you say to us and to our community right now? Yeah, a couple of things. First, we need more men to be powerful advocates for abortion across the board. This is not a women's issue. This touches every single person in this country. Um, this This is not space that women and people with uteruses should be holding by themselves and by ourselves. Uh, one, one thread that I've seen across a number of organizers and advocates uh, whose work I follow is that they are not hearing from men who support abortion. So mm. we need you, David and Charles, to be louder. We need all of your, all of your peers, all of your male colleagues, um, all of your networks to be louder. Everyone in, in the Common Power community um, needs, to, needs to speak up. Um, this is also a great opportunity for everyone, but particularly men, because there is a gender wage gap, to set up a monthly recurring donation Mm. to an abortion access fund in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, uh, because this isn't just going to impact Texas. This law is intended to push people outside the bounds of this state. Um, So Planned Parenthood is an incredible, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, other organizations like that are incredible, um, incredible service providers and incredible advocacy organizations their work is critical to this fight. This is not the moment that they need support. This is the moment when our money needs to be going to um, the the person who is eight weeks pregnant who just found out and who needs gas money to drive to a state where they can get an abortion. That's what abortion access funds do. So I hope everyone listening to this will join me in setting up a monthly recurring donation to the Texas uh, abortion access fund of your choice. We also need to be in touch with our representatives, encouraging them, um, for, for those of us who are in Seattle, they already do, but they need to hear from us that we care about this issue, that we are fiercely opposed to both this law and to the Supreme Court process. Um, and we need to engage with, with Common Power and, and other organizations that are interested in power building for the people who don't have access to power right now. So we, we have to make sure that we are focused in Virginia, that we are focused in Arizona, that we're focused in Wisconsin, um, that we're engaged in, in expanding electoral power across the country so that we turn legislatures blue. 
Um, and finally, for any listener in California who has not voted no in the recall mm. election, we are holding the U.S. Senate by the narrowest of threads right now. California um, has a, a, a an old senator who, in Dianne Feinstein, who, um, if there is a need to replace her, if she steps down before the end of her term, we need a Democratic governor to be the one making that decision so that we hold the U.S. Senate. Uh, so that's that's another key piece that's happening right now. Uh, that that is a great list, um, and yeah, I there think is from no that, shortage uh, of, get, of action to take on yeah. this one. We're going to want to get the the resource for sure because I think we'll send that out via email. The yeah. resource, the um, the Texas resource. Um, thank you, Kiana. Um, I have always learned a lot from you in our time working together and this is, you know, no different and I appreciate it. I'm also, um, inspired and catalyzed, not just learned, but inspired and catalyzed by what you're, what you're, uh, telling us and the way you're, you're driving this and the way that you're react, you're, you're kind of processing and reacting. So thank you for taking time to talk to me in this podcast and we uh, will bring these pieces to the common power community um, and um, would really welcome you being a person who can guide us through some of this as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, of, of course, I'm, as, as you both know, a, a huge fan of the work that uh, you are doing and it has never, we, I feel like we say this every time we talk, but it has never been more essential than it is right now. Uh, we're, we are truly at a turning point in uh, our ability to, to move forward as a country. So thank you. Thank you for fighting the good fight and creating opportunities and pathways for others to fight the good fight as well. Yep. And thank you so much for joining us, Kiana. Talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Take care, you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.